Canada. Hello. Hello. Hi, how are you? Good. Doing really well. How are you? I'm all right. It's very patriotic behind you for anyone yeah, what's, who's... What's going on there? <laughs> all that. Uh, yeah, some uh, uh, a fan sent that to me. And I needed a, I needed a background in a hurry. So uh, nice. yeah, there it is. It's beautiful. Oh, I love okay, it. Let's not go crazy. It ain't beautiful. <laughs> it, I think it's beautiful. It's a, is, that, is that like pencil crayon? No, it's, a, it's metal. Oh, no, I know, oh, but it looks is. like... It's metal. Like, I don't know how they did it. Like, some, some kind of etching or something like that. The hell do I know? But look, it's nice of them to do it. But that, I mean, that ain't art. <laughs> how old were they? Something is the, like is the real question. They were adults. Okay. Well, then. Yeah. No, this, wasn't, this wasn't some kid finter, finger painting, and it wasn't like cats running around on paint. Right. Yeah. It was an earnest attempt. Yes. And, and I'm digging the new look. Like you're very like Elvis-ish now. We were. Well, what new look? Like, oh my hair! Yeah. <laughs> I just, I I just got a different haircut. <laughs> okay. That's a new look. Yeah. Well, yeah. That is the, the I mean, definition. The, I mean, okay, I guess it is. I suppose it's the haircut I've always wanted. Now you you guys are too young to even know who the hell this haircut is based on. But it's a man named Jack Lord, who was the original Steve McGarrett in the original Hawaii Five-O who was like the coolest guy ever on Gen TV. So I wanted my haircut yeah. to be like him. But you guys are like like zygotes, so you wouldn't know about that. <laughs> wow, thank you so much. I was all ready to be like, I know who that is, and I was like, I don't know. <laughs> you can see it in your eyes, Brayden. <laughs> that, that's all right. You guys don't have to know about the classics of the previous generation. Well, we do know about the classic of much music, and that's uh, where we know you from. Great segue. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that was nicely done. Did yes. you? <laughs> Much music was a uh, a huge, huge uh, cultural force in this country. It was, uh, you know, played music and pop culture, and everybody felt like they belonged, and it was kind of like a national clubhouse, and then they crapped the bed. How did that even happen? Why did it just crumble like that? Well, it doesn't take much when you have bad management. Because the, the, the person who was in charge, who really built that channel to be the stuff that, that people really, really loved, her name was Denise Donlin. Actually, her name still is Denise Donlin. Right. She, didn't, she didn't surrender her name when she left. Uh, Thank God. Yeah, she, uh, she built it, and then she left to run Sony Music, and uh, new people took over who uh, didn't really understand what the value of much music was, and also one of the people making decisions was lazy as hell. And I uh, didn't like to do all the, the legwork and all the work that was necessary to make the shows work. And she would just sit in her office with her TV tuned to MTV US. And every time you'd go in, she'd say, why can't we do it like that? Why can't we do those shows? It's like, what have you seen how our budget? That's why. They have like a hundred <laughs> times the money and a hundred times the people. It'll look like, you know, children putting on a play at Christmas. It'll be ridiculous. And, uh, but they did. She, she just kept canceling everything that made much music, much music. Canceled uh, the tree toss, canceled snow job, canceled, you know, basically everything that was sort of a really quirky personality piece for the channel and replaced it with, uh, you know, Gossip Girl and, in reality shows and you know really crappy reality shows okay. that were ripoffs of 
MTV reality shows, but again, looked like children were putting them on. They were terrible. So uh, I quit pretty much before all that really, really went bad. It was uh, me, George, Rick, and Rachel pretty much all left. Uh, it was almost like each one of us would stand at the edge of the ship and one would jump off and then the next would jump off before it hit the iceberg. <laughs> that's a beautiful metaphor yeah it really is so you saw it coming and you saw it happening i told them it was coming <laughs> i kept over and over i told them you're going the wrong direction and they just kept saying well because of the internet people don't want to watch uh, music videos on tv they'll watch them online and i kept telling them idiots maybe that was part of the problem it was not, <laughs> i sh maybe shouldn't have started with that but uh, idiots the people who were watching the channel didn't watch it just for the videos they watched it for what we did with the videos. You know, how we contextualized it, how we used them for content, the fun we had around them. You know, because anybody can sit and watch something on, on the internet, but it's kind of an antiseptic experience. But what we did was we made all that stuff fun. But they didn't understand that. And they just kept saying, oh, no one wants to watch music videos on, on TV anymore. They just surrendered. You know, they just grabbed their ankles and, and, and gave up. And uh, that was the end of the channel. And then they changed their name to Much and stop playing music videos, and now they play, I think, South Park and Simpsons reruns. Um, and, but it, it doesn't, it may as well not exist anymore. Yeah, I was so gonna sad. ask whether it still existed. It is very sad. And yeah. it was such a huge part of our childhoods, like watching the Fromage Awards every like holiday season. And Yeah, how did you, uh, was the Fromage Awards your idea, or how did, no. how did that all start? No, Fromage was uh, the brainchild of someone named Christopher Ward who was one of the original Much Music VJs. He uh, was a songwriter also. He wrote a song called Black Velvet for an artist named Alana Miles, and it made huge gobs of money. So he quit Much Music and moved to LA. Um, and he, when he did Fromage, they basically focused on uh, foreign videos and videos that were really cheap. And uh, he, did, he played this character called Simon de Camembert, with a bad French accent. And you know, my thought was, if you're doing something that is as terribly cheesy as the videos you're supposedly making fun of, that kind of isn't very self-aware. Um, <laughs> so when he uh, beat it to the US, I took it, I took it over. I did it for a couple of years with the same producer. Um, and then he left, went to another channel and uh, it was supposed to be dead. Uh, Fromage was supposed to be over. But myself and my, uh, my producing partner, my, my writer, uh, Leanna uh, Kersner, she, uh, we, we decided, you know what, it was 1999, and you know, we were coming up to the new millennium, and we thought, let's just make a fromage, which is the worst music videos of the 20th century. <laughs> and rather than taking like foreign videos and cheap videos, which is really like shooting fish in a barrel, it's like, ha, 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 look at those funny foreign people. Oh, yeah. oh isn't that hilarious? <laughs> or, look at those people who didn't have any budget but did the best they could. Oh, 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 let us mock them. Um, I thought that was cheap. So instead, we decided we're going to take uh, big-name artists and uh, expose them to ridicule because their videos, they had the money to have better thought-out videos, and they still didn't. So I was like, no, let's go after, let's go hunting big game. And so we, uh, we created this, uh, the, the new fromage without telling anybody. We just worked on it privately because that was the way it was in those days as much music. You could just make shows. And so we made the show 
and handed it in. And they said, uh, Denise said, what's this? I said, fromage. She said, I thought that was canceled. And I said, well, I guess not. And uh, so they ran it and it got bigger numbers than it ever did before. And uh, every year it got bigger and it became the biggest uh, dollar for dollar, the biggest successful show that Much Music had, even bigger than the Much Music Video Awards. Because after the Video Awards aired once or twice, it didn't really bring in numbers. But Fromage actually got higher numbers on its second and third run than it did even on its first one. And they were uh, running like marathons eventually, like three hour marathons and four hour marathons with old Fromages with the new one. So there'd be like shows that were like three and four years old running and they still did better than the crap that they were putting on at the time. Man, the video awards were such shit. I remember it would always be raining, and as a viewer, you'd be trying to listen to the musicians performing, and then the VJs <laughs> were just trying to scream over the fans, but everyone would not stop <laughs> screaming, and it just seemed like a horrible experience. Well, it, it really only rained, I think, maybe once. I mean, okay. <laughs> it was always raining! Yeah. In my world, it's always raining. A disaster every yeah. year. Your world is like a Zack Snyder movie. The sky is always dark and full of debris. Um, but uh, No, but uh, you're right. That, uh, listen, I had a great time doing the Much Music Video Awards because my job was I was there for the opening, and then I got to run around uh, floor to floor within the building and talk to the big-name uh, music artists who were there. Mm -hmm. And we would always set up in advance what time I was going to talk to somebody, and that never worked out. <laughs> so we would always be, you know, we'd get a, a call on uh, the walkie talkie cause uh, you know, early days, it was before everybody had a phone and we get, a, we get, and then it switched to phones, but get a call. So-and-so is ready. Lenny Kravitz is ready for you now. He's supposed to be ready half an hour ago, but now he'll see you. And uh, you know, we'd run up the stairs, we would shoot the video, shoot the interview. And then somebody would run the tape downstairs where uh, Leanna would be sitting in an edit suite with Carl Traumashauser, the editor, and without ever having seen the, uh, the tape before, Leanna just knew my work so well, she would tell him when to make edits when she was looking at it for the first time. And it would get cut down to the time that they wanted, and then it would be run over to the truck to be run live. The so this craziness crazy. was going on the entire evening. So it was kind of exciting and, and, and fun. fun. <laughs> yeah, it, it was I good for me anyway. hustle. Yeah, are, are, any any memorable artists you know interviews off the top of your head we just watched your interview with avril levine it was one <laughs> it was of them spicy. yeah oh avril <laughs> yeah so she was awkward. quite a character <laughs> thank goodness that uh my first interview with her was just after she turned 18 because <laughs> oh she she just kept throwing me down on the floor and, uh, yeah, I saw that, yeah. and nowadays i'd get canceled for that even though i didn't initiate it yeah um, in a lot of trouble oh yeah i mean i uh sang with beyonce and destiny's child you sang oh, with them i sang with them yeah what an I, sang, honor. I sang say my name with them um, that sounded which, beautiful which was a beautiful oh we harmonized beautifully um <laughs> Uh, Christina Aguilera, actually, uh, I interviewed her. In her about, dirty days? No, before. <laughs> I interviewed her during the dirty days, too, but I interviewed her when she was just starting out. and Because nobody, uh, she at that time, she was just the uh, former Mouseketeer who had a song on the Mulan soundtrack. Yeah. And so other VJs were like, I don't want to interview her. And I said, I'll interview her. What the hell's the matter with you people? <laughs> I always wanted to give new people a chance. And so wow. uh, this was like two days before the MMVAs. And I didn't know it but they'd been asking her to stay for the MMVAs and she kept saying no. And then I did the interview with her 
we had a little bit of fun. It was fun. She was cute. And then driving home, I get a call from uh, the, the second in command. He says, what did you say to Christina Aguilera? I'm like, what the hell? I don't know. Every time I would do the interview, I'd forget about it four minutes later. <laughs> you know, it, it, was, it was disposable. Uh, and I said, I, I don't remember. He says, what did you say to her? I said, I, we talked about her video. What the hell do I? I don't remember anything. He says, you don't remember what you said? I said, no. He said, well, we've been asking her to stay for the MMBAs for two weeks now, trying to arrange it, and she kept saying no. But she said that she would stay if you interviewed her again. Uh, <laughs> and so was, I wasn't getting hell. It was actually a good thing. And then she had me host her uh, uh, Canadian National Press Conference, which was hilarious because whenever reporters would ask dumb questions, I'd tell them to sit down and shut up. <laughs> That's actually sweet. That's a good tactic. Yeah, it was smart on her part. And uh, Lenny Kravitz. Uh, great interview with him. Uh, I didn't realize it, but uh, Denzel Washington was in the room. And I didn't know because we ran in to do the interview. And Lenny was being a bit of an ass. Um, he'd been trouble all day long. He wanted, he, part of his rider was chocolate chip cookies. And he didn't like the chocolate chip cookies they got him. So he was giving them trouble about rehearsing. He was being a real, you know, tortured artist all day long you know, being, you know, that moody artist kind of crap. Yeah. Diva. And then I don't know why he agreed to do the interview with me, but he did. <laughs> and I was talking to him and then I said to him, now this is again, uh, years ago, you can't, couldn't say this kind of question now, of course, because everyone's so sensitive, but uh, <laughs> he was known as a woman's man, a ladies man. So I said mm -hmm. to him, do you think a woman should be sipped like a fine wine or guzzled like a Colt 45? <laughs> and he he didn't answer, and he looked, he looked away, then he looked that way, then he looked away, and all of a sudden his face broke, and he started laughing. He tried to fight it. And he, he tried, and he just saw it crack, and his whole body language changed, and uh, then after he starts laughing, I hear this crash in the corner. I'm looking over. Denzel Washington had been leaning on a tray, you know those, those uh, folding trays that mm -hmm. hold uh, gla uh, trays of glass, uh, waters, uh, glasses of water? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He was leaning on that, and when he, then he started to laugh, he started to laugh, and he leaned on the tray and knocked over the entire tray, all the glasses of water on the floor. And so I just said, Denzel, what the hell's the matter with you? Can't take you anywhere. My uh, so that was, it was fun. I mean, running up and down the stairs, doing all that stuff, it was fun. And then there was the uh, artists whose representative said that uh, during the MMVAs, for example, that they wouldn't do an interview with me. And then I'm walking past them and I say, hey, how you doing? Because we knew each other. And they said, why are you interviewing me? I said, well, because your, your agent or your publicist said no. The hell with that. Get in here. And we would do, we would do interviews. And there was guys, you know, like the Beastie Boys who everyone was revering them and, bow, you know, bowing down to them. And they were assholes. Oh. Um, they, yeah, because I was interviewing Hillary Duff in one of the buildings. <laughs> and their dressing room was way in the background. You could see the door to their dressing room. It didn't have any name on it or anything, but it was way in the background. And they wanted me to stop my interview so that they could you, go in and out of their, their uh, dressing room. And I said, no, to hell with you. <laughs> and uh, they were really mad. And I didn't care because it was like, these guys are supposed to be really super cool. And they weren't. They were jerks. And like Anthony Kiedis. From but was Red Hillary Duff Pepper. cool? <laughs> this is the question. Was Hillary Duff cool? Oh, Hillary <laughs> Duff was really cool. <laughs> yeah. like and people guy. would probably think that she's not. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, no, she was super cool. Uh, I interviewed her every single time she was in Toronto. And she was a very, very cool uh, person. Great sense of humor. Uh, I oh, uh, first met her when she, before she was 16. And we were talking about what car she wanted to get. And then uh, I kept talking to her year after year. And no, I had great times with her. She had a huge sense of humor. She was able to laugh at herself. No, I, I, I really enjoyed talking to Hillary Duff. I, I, I wonder if Lenny Kravitz is a little bit humbled now and if you would have a different experience after his little uh, dick display. Do you guys remember that? That's all yes. I could think of. When he, yeah. he was performing and then he, he was like playing his guitar and then crouched and then the crotch of his pants ripped open and his dick just like flopped out and he has like a piercing. He, no, he was wearing a cock ring. Yeah. And everyone was like, oh my God, Lenny Kravitz. Ainsley, I remember you couldn't get over that. Like you kept watching. I would play it on loop because it was so funny right on uh, that note are you guys assuming that that would embarrass him <laughs> Make it so. yeah, he, didn't, he didn't seem terribly embarrassed by it no i think his his daughter called it like dick gate or something like that and he was like embarrassed that she was tweeting about it or some shit i can't remember okay look he would only be embarrassed if his dick uh could could flop out and nobody could see it. Right. That would be more embarrassing. But when he's got a whole hog there on display, um, considering his personality and his machismo, I'm pretty sure that that was, for all we know, it wasn't even really his. It was just one of, it was a stunt cock. It could have been planned. <laughs> yeah, never been. put it past these crazy celebrities. Okay, we've got a lot to talk about, so let's move on to the next topic. <laughs> By the way, get... before, you, before you do, yeah. uh, with the name of your show, Terry Foxy Ladies, I thought we'd be doing it while you guys were running across Canada. <laughs> <laughs> We've thought about it. <laughs> we have <laughs> not thought about it. <laughs> no way, man. Grab Keep your in mind. <laughs> yeah, it's a, that's a good publicity stuff. That'll, that'll be our goal, our final goal. All right, all right, all right, all right. So, all right, go ahead. In an interview with Vice Ed in 2019, Oh, those said, bastards. I hate Vice. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're like the uh, Beastie Boys of uh, media. Well, they take themselves so damn seriously. I they have no that. sense of humor. They're pretentious twats. I can't stand those bastards. You know, the interview with that guy, that kid, he comes to our show and, you know, uh, proceeds to insult it in the article, but we didn't know it at the time. He calls us. We spent a half an hour with him when we didn't really have the time. We were supposed to be doing show prep. We took the time to talk to the guy. And then the next day he calls and says, do you mind doing the interview again? Because my recorder crapped out. And so we're nice enough. We're driving to a show that night. We're doing a live show for our uh, War on Stupid comedy tour. We do the interview again. We're nice enough to take another half hour again and do the interview with him. And then he writes that snotty little piece. I want to pop his little head like a zit. (laughs) Um, you said Sorry, I <laughs> no I, I love the background i love the, the secrets and the information yeah, it's very candid yeah so you said in to the snotty little bitch people know that i sit firmly in the middle i don't look to be liberal or conservative i look for the weak arguments and the stupidity and the ignorance on both sides so they know that both sides are going to get it from me i'm not an agent of one side or another so i think that gets people a little more comfortable uh, so it's only three years later. Uh, do you still think it makes people more comfortable to hear from someone who isn't easily like on one side or the other? First of all, did someone just burp? Yeah, yeah that's, <laughs> right, that's a common occurrence here. <laughs> I have a problem. 
Oh, it's not a problem. You'd have a problem if you needed to burp and didn't. <laughs> exactly. That's how I feel. My mom says that I um, have an aggressive esophagus. <laughs> oh, I've never heard that one before. I might use yeah. that. Um, so, uh, do I, listen, people still perceive me as being some kind of liberal lover. Um, and I am a small L liberal like most Canadians. Mm -hmm. uh, but the fact is, most of the time, uh, the lies that, that are coming out now are coming from the conservative quarters and lately the NDP and the, the side of truth happens to favor the liberals. So when I stand up for truth, people assume I'm standing up for the liberals. I'm not. Because also, I mean, recently when people were saying that Andrew Scheer stole money from the conservative party to fund his kid's school, mm -hmm. I stepped in and said, no, he didn't steal anything. Um, his expenses were approved by the, the powers that be. He didn't mm -hmm. steal anything. And, but nobody, nobody notices that. I defend that twit, Andrew Scheer, and nobody notices it. But if I defend uh, the truth, which happens to favor the liberals in this, uh, this time around, then people say, oh, you're just a liberal. That's the problem. Everybody nowadays, you have to be on one side or the other. There's, yeah. that, there's a binary. If you're not on my side, you're on the other side. You know, what about those of us who aren't on anyone's side? What about those of us who take it issue by issue, story by story, and look for the truth and the value in, in what we're hearing. There's yeah, just, just how it should be. Well, it used to be too, and now it's not, because everybody's in, every media is in a race for, for clickbait, and everything's become so polarized that you're either on one side or you're on the other. And it doesn't matter what kind of, you know, you can prefer DC movies to Marvel movies, um, and then you're, you know, you're on one side or the other. Uh, you can like uh, one kind of music or another. You can't like both. You know, you've got to be, you've got to choose. You have to be in one camp or another. And if you don't choose, they'll choose for you. And that's absurd. The idea of being able to take things case by case, a la carte, that's the way life should be lived. But no, nowadays, if you're not with us, you're against us. Life a la carte. <laughs> <laughs> Great speech, I totally agree. I've amused you all so much. <laughs> no, I 100% agree as well. Yeah. It's a huge problem. As of late. Yeah, and I feel like, because it, it used to be like, oh, in the United States, you have all these like lifelong Democrats, lifelong Republicans. Um, it, it, it seemed like it used to be a lot more polarized that sense. And then Canadians, I mean, it was way more common for someone to vote liberal one election, conservative another, NDP another. Whereas now it is very much more like you need to stick to one side. And if you don't, you're viewed with suspicion. Um, well, what do you think? What can we do about that? Like, how do you, how do you get people to take things more case by case? Or how do you get people to not reflexively just defend whoever they perceive to be their team and reflexively uh, shit on whatever the other guy's doing, even if it's actually pretty reasonable? I have no idea. the <laughs> song? <laughs> I have, I have, how the hell, I listen, uh, I, the only way really is to go on social media and police it. In a sense of when you see somebody talking nonsense, it doesn't matter who they're talking nonsense about or what they're talking nonsense about. You got to set them straight and just don't refuse to be pigeonholed. If more and more people would refuse to be pigeonholed and if more and more people would be secure in who they are, that they don't feel they need to belong to some freaking group. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, the problem is that when you don't belong to a group, um, like, if you belong to one group, the other group will attack you. If you belong to no group, both groups will attack you. And a lot of people can't withstand that. Not a lot of people like me who can tell them to go F off. Uh, <laughs> most people feel really intimidated and get bullied. 
by these people. And I, I understand it because they're a bunch of assholes. And there's, they're, I think they're in the minority, but they're louder than the majority, as is almost always the case. Yeah. And well, they're pretty vicious. And I think that when you actually look at the leaders of the different parties in this uh, country, you know, like Mr. Doughboy Shear, who isn't leader anymore and refuses to leave the public sphere, and then like Trudeau and Jag, I feel like it's really telling of the actual political environment that has changed so much in the past decade, where these are the leaders that have risen because well, of this, like... I even understand Jake Mate saying like I really don't. I feel like everything he <laughs> says is just some like weird catchphrase without any substance. He's a moron. It's just like floating around. Yeah. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> Here's what you need to understand. He's an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The only the is. only okay. bright thing that ever emanates from above his neck is the color of his turban. <laughs> the, there's there's no there's no wisdom ever spouting from that guy's mouth. That's why I refer to him as Jughead Singh. He's, yeah, that's a good one. He's a moron. Jaggy boy. He's a, yeah, he's a terrible leader. And when the, when, like, we knew when the last election was going to be, and the other two parties had all their candidates in place, and there was something like two-thirds of, of the ridings in this country didn't have an NDP candidate yet. They were that unprepared. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was a mess. There, if he hadn't have done well on one of the debates towards the end, and shown that he was, you know, he had a sense of humor. Uh, they were calling for the NDP to be wiped out. As it was, they didn't do all that well. They're still stuck at 16%. He drives around, and I think he's done a collection of Mercedes. Um, oh, my God. I didn't he's know a very, you know, he's, he's a well-to-do guy, and I guess he figured that if he wanted to get into the leadership of a party, the other two wouldn't, uh, wouldn't take him, which I don't think is necessarily true about the liberals. Definitely true about the conservatives. Um, yeah, we I mean, the conservatives Jay. also, when, in the days when you were talking about when people would vote liberal, then conservative, um, the, the conservatives in those days aren't the conservatives from now. The conservatives in those days were just slightly more to the right of the liberals, whereas now we've got these conservatives that are very far to the right and uh, appeal to the worst instincts in individuals. And so that's why things have changed and polarized so much is that the conservatives polarize things by being by, by really embracing uh, social conservatism, and then not even that. Now they're just basically they're they're they're. It's not conservatism; it's antagonism. Mm -hmm. They just do things that they know will piss off people who are liberal. Like that's how they consider something successful. Did I piss off the liberals? Or sorry, the libtards. Oh, that's a hilarious name. Libtard. You see, because they get to squeeze in the word retard, showing how they just, uh, they object to political correctness, which, you know, not saying retard isn't politically correct. It's just being a decent human being and caring about the dignity of others. Uh, but, you know, let's make, let's pretend that it's somehow infringing on your rights, not to say something demeaning about an entire group of people. Do you see that, um, like, kind of embracing of social conservatism from the front runners of the Conservative Party? Because my perception was that um, McKay and O'Toole were trying to distance themselves from all that, maybe weakly so, but they, uh, I, saw, I saw the Conservatives, I was trying to capture more of the youth vote and trying to be more like the Liberals, you know, not in any substantive way, but at least trying to make that impression. Am I wrong? Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, now, McKay, 
McKay's had a few too many pucks to the head. Um, <laughs> he looks <laughs> weird. <laughs> he, he once was a bright light, and now I swear, like, he, he's been playing hockey without his helmet. Um, <laughs> there, I don't think there's much rattling around upstairs there. Um, he goes from one position to another, just trying to, to navigate what will get him elected. Uh, O'Toole has embraced uh, full-on the, the stupid conservative identity uh, mantra. I mean, as soon as the guy starts talking about kicking the CBC, I mean, that is, that is just conservative dog whistles. They hate the CBC because they think the CBC is anti-conservative. Meanwhile, just about every government, liberal and conservative, that's been in power has complained about the CBC's news coverage of them, which to me means that the CBC is being fair and even-handed, but conservatives just see it as, uh, because it's state-owned, they object to it existing, even though every civilized Western nation has a public broadcaster, and of the 16 nations that do, Canada is third from the bottom in how much we give to funding our, our national broadcaster. So it's not like we, we've got this thing that nobody else has. I mean, the, the British have the BBC, who produces some great content, and CBC's budgets are so cut constantly that it's amazing they produce anything of any value. Yeah, it's kind of like a cycle where their budget gets cut, so they suck. So then it's like, oh, they suck. We need to cut their budget. So their budget <laughs> gets cut, so they suck. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I do perceive the CBC as being more, I guess, you know, small L liberal. And um, I feel like be. just journalists and like uh, the media class, generally speaking, is more small L liberal in that sense. And that does, that's going to to an extent, skew coverage, no? It, it's interesting that you think that because the truth is the opposite. Uh, I mean, now CBC was small L liberal, but they, when Harper was leaving office, he stacked the CBC board of directors with conservatives. So the mm. CBC, you'll, like, be, you'd be reading it now or watching it and say, what the hell was that story? <laughs> it, they, they bend over backwards to try to avoid being seen as being too liberal and so they run these conservative-based stories, which are awful because their hearts aren't in it. But they, sometimes they're running this stuff. It's like, who is this now the conservative party running the damn, the, the damn channel? And uh, the majority of media in this country is owned by conservatives. Uh, I mean, Post Media owns a huge number of media outlets, possibly the most media outlets in the country, I think. And they were very, very public uh, before the last election saying that uh, they are going to, uh, from an editorial point of view, they're going to uh, support conservatives and they're going to shape their stories to suit the conservative narrative. And that's a huge, huge media. If you look at the list of who, in, who was endorsed by major media, you're not okay there? Um, <laughs> just, just hanging on. All right. If you take a look at who, endorsed, uh, who, who was endorsed by the major media, the majority of them endorsed the conservatives, not the liberals. Mm, interesting. Um, so along that line, what about the coverage of the Wee scandal? Um, I know you called it a nothing burger and that <laughs> it's not the attack. It's not an attack on Trudeau, but an attack on the truth, fact and critical thinking aided and abetted by a news media, a news media and its death throes that deserves to die. Can you please expand on that? Well, here's the thing. There really is no scandal with we. See, if Trudeau had any hand in initially suggesting we, if he had any agency in trying to guide that decision, then you could say maybe 
there was, uh, there was a conflict of interest or corruption, maybe, even though corruption usually results in somebody being unduly enriched. And in this case, nobody was making any extra money on this. Uh, but Trudeau had nothing to do with deciding who was going to get uh, recommended for the, for the project. All he did was vote on it when it came to the cabinet, uh, the cabinet vote, and his vote wasn't even crucial. It would have passed without his vote. So he really had nothing to do with choosing we, and so there is no quid pro quo. There is no, you did for me, so I'll do for you, because he had nothing to do with arranging it. And so there's no scandal. There's nothing. There's no smoking gun. In fact, there's the opposite. And the fact, I mean, people think that he, his, his mother and brother uh, spoke. Uh, they're professional speakers. Like if they were professional plumbers and we was a uh, chain of hotels that hired a lot of plumbers and they happened to be some of the plumbers they hired, nobody would be complaining. But yeah. because they're professional speakers and people don't understand that world and what professional speakers make, they assume that some, there's some kind of hanky-panky going on. Listen, the Trudeaus have enough money, and Margaret Trudeau has enough speaking engagements that Justin Trudeau wouldn't throw the entire uh, government under the bus to try to help his mother. I mean, it's just freaking absurd. <laughs> it's very interesting you use the words hanky-panky uh, with Trudeau in the same sentence. <laughs> no, it's back. Hanky-panky's back. I don't Do you know, know what the hell that see, means. Did you see that painting that um, Kent Monkman did of Trudeau? No. Okay. Oh, my God. You take a look. Field day uh, with take, that. take a look-see. <laughs> no, I don't want to. <laughs> you can Basically take a, a very graphic image <laughs> painted uh, of Trudeau. It looks yeah. like he's getting, he is about to get ass raped. He's presenting his bare bottom to, like, a lot of people, and it caused, like, a big controversy. So, yeah, it was funny to hear you well, say hanky-panky. Yeah, it's I, called hanky-panky. I, I had missed that. And now you guys ruined my ignorance. <laughs> yeah, ignorance is bliss, I know. But, uh, yeah, so that's why I don't like we is because uh, there's no critical thinking involved. Critical thinking would say there's nothing here. But all you have to do is introduce terms like corruption and keep beating the drum. Corruption, corruption, corruption. He did it for his friends. Now, we, uh, their uh, normal administration rate is about 13%. Okay, the rest of it goes to, to, to fund the charity stuff. Now, by comparison, there's, uh, it, there's things like the Cancer Society and so on. Some of the bigger charities, their uh, administration fees are about half of the money brought in. So WE is already a lean organization, and they were going to do it for 2.2%, way, way undercutting themselves and anybody else. So there was not going to be any big payday for them. People see the amount of money, oh, 912 million. Oh, that's, and they would have taken about 19 million if, if all of the, the, the people signed up. That's a huge number. Somebody's making a ton of money. No, they weren't. And the Toronto Star actually published the budget as to where all that money was going. And it was all accounted for. It wasn't going to the Kielbergers. And the Kielbergers are not friends, personal friends with Trudeau. Trudeau ran a youth uh, agency called Katimovic when uh, the Kielbergers were building We, So they interacted and knew each other. And they're a major charity started by two Canadian kids that have, has an international presence. Of course, political leaders in this country are going to know these people. I would be more concerned if they didn't. But people assume they're friends. They're not friends. They're like people you're, you've met at work who you're friendly with. And maybe you had a drink with once with a bunch of other people. 
but they're not actually your friends. So, you know, there's the, the whole narrative of he did it to help his friends. First of all, his friends weren't going to be getting away with money on this. And secondly, they're not actually friends, but they just keep repeating the same lies, the, 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 the opposition, and the media just keeps seizing on it. Today, there was a story that, oh, heavens, Katie Telford, who works in the PMO, and uh, Seamus O'Regan, who's a minister in the government, helped we raise $40,000 in 2015 before the liberals formed the government. Remember a time when people in public life helping a charity raise money was a good thing? <laughs> but all they had to do was publish the story, and just by publishing it, it made it seem like, well, they must be publishing it because something is amiss. And people only read headlines nowadays anyways. Yeah. So why do you think it's taking up so much space in the media? Um, is it just to bring down Trudeau, or is it to distract from other issues? I know there was a theory that it was to distract from the whole Nova Scotia shooter situation that's going on. Uh, any thoughts there's, about that? There's no need to distract from that, because the, the opposition, I mean, uh, Scheer still, I don't think, has said anything about that. We had a guy attempting to basically uh, threaten our leader with, with guns. He burst a truck through the, the, uh, our prime minister's home with, a, with a, a back seat full of guns and intended to rush the prime minister. And we don't, nobody's talking about it. It's like, they talk about how he made a good sausage. Like, what the hell, man? Yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, I, I, like I was in the media for like on one that. minute. Mm -hmm. If the guy was Muslim, people would be screaming. Yeah, 100%. But uh, <laughs> they, uh, why are they doing it? Because the media in this country is dying. And it deserves to die because it is badly run by people who have no clue how to operate in a digital, a digital world. They're still living like 1999. Uh, they're still living in an analog world. They figure since they don't understand the present world, they'll just keep acting like it's the old world. And they just keep losing more and more money. And uh, so there's, they're like, hey, you know what, you know what works online? Clickbait. We, sh we, should, we should do more clickbait. And also the media here, yeah, they look to the states and they see all the juicy stories coming out of uh, Washington with that idiot Trump. And they're like jealous because they wish that they could get some of those juicy headlines. And so if, there's, if the news doesn't suit what they want, they make it suit. Yeah, the whole thing is quite quite sad because in the end it's just the students who are suffering but we were just talking about this on our last podcast about how all like canadian scandals are pretty boring <laughs> yeah. oh they are we're we suck at scandals <laughs> like nobody really it, there's no real envelopes full of cash there's no yeah. dead hookers like yeah. there's, there's like we're really now on one hand it kind of says that we're a country that still is stable and believes in the rule of law and morality in government that we take such little nothings and make them into something big, that we still care about the little things because there aren't any big things. Mm -hmm. So on one hand, it's kind of good that that happens. On the other hand, kind of not good that it happens. Why would you say it's not good? Because it's misrepresenting uh, to Canadians what's actually going on. The news isn't actually presenting sober facts and contextualizing the news. They're just basically uh, publishing headlines. And that's all they do, they just make headlines. And as misleading as possible to hopefully get someone to pick up the paper and, uh, or, ch or click on the site, click on the, on, the, on the story. And most of the stories are behind a paywall and they hope people are gonna pay to get behind the paywall for this salacious story. So it's a fundamental abdication of the media's responsibility 
as a public service to Canadians. And that's what's wrong. It's ruining Canadians' ability to understand their own world. Is there any um, news source that you think has like uh, held on to any, like a little bit of integrity left? Or do you think that it's mainly all washed over? Yeah, I really would be hard pressed to, to cite one that I think is, is worthy. Uh, I think they're all pretty much shit. Uh, Terry Foxy ladies. <laughs> Terry Foxy except for Terry Foxy ladies. <laughs> yes. Can we quote you on that? <laughs> that promo. Um, okay. okay, so I totally agree with you. Hold but on, like hold the- on, hold on. Yep. I'm at the sock, and I think Terry Foxy ladies are your source for accurate news and information. <laughs> yes! Thank you. We got the seal of approval. There you go. Um, Fuck yeah. You, so I totally agree with you. <laughs> I totally agree with you about the clickbait. Like that's where the media is headed, and and it's unfortunate. And there's no complexity. There's no incentive to um, introduce any complexity. But then I, I guess I I don't understand though because Rideau Hall is a very clickbaity event, and like the Nova Scotia shooter is a very clickbaity event. So. Why not? Why shy away from that in favor of this we stuff, which is comparatively extremely boring? Like I tried so hard to understand what was happening and I couldn't because it was too boring. So what do you what do you make of that? There's a rich vein of uh, hatred for the fact that Justin Trudeau exists, mm. and they know that they can mine that. They know that they can uh, that there there's gold in them our hills. And they know that, uh, that they're not going to sell as many papers writing stories about the shooter because that's going to end. I mean, it happened. And they're only going to get so much information and then it's going to dry up as far as a source of new information or new, new news. Whereas a scandal that keeps unfolding, that's every, you know, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Right. Yeah, I think the media has really gotten to me, like, for instilling, like, deep hatred for Trudeau. Like, <laughs> I called him a pansy-ass bitch, and I was like, yeah. I don't know where that's coming from. I just had You're this, just like, deep-seated resentment. Well, Beard listen, Trudeau is, uh, I, I, I know him. I don't, we're not friends, but I've been around him, and I've talked to him, and the guy's legit. Um, I thought that during his first term, they were trying to kneecap the NDP, by being more social justice than the NDP was. Mm-hmm. And he was saying a lot of bullshit that made yeah. me cringe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because that's not really, a, I mean, he believes in social justice and shit, but he paraded it around. He wore it like a suit of colors. Mm-hmm. And I knew that uh, that, was a, uh, that was a really bad place to be because it was like when Obama was elected and everybody thought that he was going to solve their particular problem. And he didn't and couldn't. And so they were disappointed with him. Same thing happens, what happened with Trudeau. He set himself up to be too much of a paragon of virtue and no human being is ever that perfect. And so it was definitely gonna take a fall. I thought it was a mistake. And uh, whereas, I mean, this is a guy who called uh, Peter Kent, uh, when Peter Kent was a minister in the Harper government, called him a piece of shit in the House of Commons. And by the way, he's right. Peter Kent is a piece of shit. Uh, but you know, that. And then Trudeau's the guy that fought Patrick Brazeau, that big conservative bruiser of a senator. And everyone thought that, you know, that charity boxing match, they thought that uh, Brazeau would lay Trudeau out like a rug in the first round. Trudeau beat the crap out of him. The guy is like twice his size, and Trudeau beat the crap out of him. This guy's a scrapper like his dad was. And he's a lot tougher. Um, and I think that with the bloom off the rose, 
you know, with uh, the fact that he did that blackface shit when he was a teenager and then he dressed up like Aladdin, um, <laughs> that made him seem less perfect. And I think that it's better that he's got a little bit of dirt under his fingernails because now he doesn't have to be so fucking perfect. Sorry, mm -hmm. I shouldn't swear. Um, no, he doesn't okay, have to be that perfect. <laughs> um, and so he, can, he doesn't have to mouth those platitudes like he did before. I remember that video of him that they were circulating of him like throwing himself down the stairs like he was drunk or something. I was like, that makes him cooler in my <laughs> opinion. <laughs> Trudeau I'm like, he's do. a human being. Yeah, well, like that's a little, thing. It's like a little Willy Wonka situation. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but like, what, what, boy. Willy Wonka? What, who was Augustus Gloop in that video? <laughs> <laughs> Let's turn to provincial politics since we're all Ooh. residents of Ontario. I think. Do you live in Toronto, Ed? I don't even know. I live outside of Toronto. I think Toronto is a cesspool. <laughs> I, would, I was going to ask you if your no team thing extends to hockey. Mm. Or do you have a team? No, I don't yeah, have that's a team. Off topic. I honestly don't give a damn about hockey. <laughs> Bad Canadian <laughs> guy. <laughs> that, yeah. that brought the room to a close. <laughs> Shocking. Ed says he doesn't like yeah. hockey. <laughs> that I don't like it. Sound sound <laughs> it isn't that I don't like hockey. It's that I don't care about hockey. Right. No, I don't yeah, care about no, hockey. That's fair. I, don't, um, I don't know any. Okay, um, so yeah, what mm -hmm. are your thoughts on Doug Ford's performance as premier? Well, he's a buffoon. He's, uh, he, he's exactly what you figure. He's like, uh, listen, the, if you think about it, he, he got a bit of a reprieve during COVID. You know, after he told uh, teenagers to go away during spring break to Florida and have a good time, um, and then they all came back and had to be quarantined, um, he finally uh, understood the breadth of the situation and started taking it seriously and working with the federal government. And people thought, hey, you know, because everyone, people want to believe in their leaders, unless, except in Justin Trudeau. People want to believe in their leaders because you want to feel safe. You want to feel that somebody's there who's, who, who got your back. And so people wanted to give Doug Ford marks because they wanted to feel like he wasn't a giant buffoon that he was. Um, but he is. The beginnings of his, if you think about the priorities of his government when he got elected, what was his priority? Putting beer in corner stores. Yeah. <laughs> uh, allowing bars to open at nine in the morning. Uh, the pro-alcoholic president. Letting people drink in public parks. Letting people drink in public parks. Letting dogs sit on restaurant patios. Like, these <laughs> were his big priorities. Fucking issues I would have for sure cared about that as a much, like, younger adult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. His constituency are a bunch of drunks. Um, and you, when you consider that he comes from a family that's been destroyed by addiction, yeah, yeah. kind of disturbing. Yeah, um, confusing. And then he also Not learned his lesson. No, yeah. But then while he did that, while he was all consumed with making sure people could get their booze, he was cutting uh, funding for, uh, for autistic families. Yeah. He was cutting, he cut the uh, guaranteed income pilot project. So uh, people who were impoverished, who were depending upon that and had an, a contract with the government, found themselves shit out of luck. Like, he's done a lot of things that are very dangerous. He also spent a couple hundred million dollars canceling contracts and canceling projects and paying huge millions of dollars in penalties for no good reason. Yeah. Just because he decided that he didn't ideologically like the project, he was willing to spend a couple hundred million dollars in lawyer's fees 
And I mean, they said that the, the beer store one could have cost up to a billion dollars. I don't know where that still is in litigation. He was, instead of just letting a contract with the beer store run out, which it would have done and it would have cost him nothing. Instead, he tries to, he wants to cancel the contract, which has huge penalties built in. Like yeah. he's not a good leader and he got elected trying to be more, you know, saying he's going to be more fiscally responsible and he's not, he spends, he spent as much or more than the wind government. Yeah. I was going to say that's the problem. That's the problem with the, the conservatives is that they don't even deliver on the, the one thing that someone could uh, find them beneficial for, which is that fiscal conservativeness. Everything that they do ends up just costing more money or all the, any of the services that they cut end up, uh, causing more problems that end up costing everyone. Yeah, so you over in the, long the, the license plates guys. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Reflect. The worst thing was the gas sticker thing. You know, we yeah. can put those little stickers at the pump to like, um, urban tax thing. Yeah. 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 Like okay. I was like that this is nakedly ideological. I don't understand how, like how any conservative could, um, support this, but well, and they also started something called Ontario news now, which is their own government propaganda channel. God knows how much that's costing us. I mean, nobody watches it. Yeah, I was going to say, I've never heard of it. it. Yeah, yeah, it's I there. I... Nobody watches it, but it's costing us money. It's a government propaganda Perfect. channel. And, and that, that money could go somewhere better. The thing is, do you guys know uh, the only government in the last uh, 30 years that has cut both the deficit, like balanced the, the, the books, and cut the debt? Not the deficit, but the country's debt. You know what, what government did that? No. The uh, Chrétien government. Yeah. It was liberals. Oh, it, the lib- when when uh, the liberals turned over power to Harper, there was billions of dollars in surplus. And that's what Harper used to ride out the Great Recession, was the liberal surplus. The, most, uh, the best stewards of the economy have been liberal governments, not conservatives. Chrétien, yeah. what a guy. I, I used to... <laughs> work in the government and i would always have to contact onn to have them come to events and it was a waste of time <laughs> so you did know about them yeah i did i had to like constantly talk with the girl Lindsay. she was like the one with the pixie cut and she's the only one on it it was a uh, anyway that's the one woman show going nowhere um th- <laughs> thoughts on bill 197 the COVID economic recovery act um well the one that said- gave the government uh, all those uh, extra powers yeah they have like the one bill that's called the omnibus bill and um essentially it's just a bill that eliminates the need for public consultation and like environmental risk assessments before developing so the government just passed this bill so that um they can pretty much just develop and make anything without consulting anyone about it or without doing oh i was confusing it with bill 195 um yeah what uh Listen, the, if you want to find out who, is, who are the donors for Doug Ford's campaigns, look at who his policies favor. It's landlords, it's, yeah. it's the building developers, it's just, and, and, and drunks. Um, you can see right then and there who his base is. Yeah. Uh, what about, you mentioned Bill 195, reopening Ontario. Thoughts on that? Well, I mean, he threw out one of the MPPs who said it was a naked power grab and went too far. This is the guy, you know, conservatives always talk about how they're going to allow free votes and let uh, uh, MPs or MPPs vote their conscience, and then they get elected, and they don't let that happen at all. You know, they're just, it's a, it's a constant lie that people believe. I think because people don't really care one way or the other about that. 
Yeah, I was going uh, to ask you, it seems like you know a lot more about the history of the government and all the going <laughs> on. <laughs> um, but, well, I'm older yeah, than you are. Of yeah. course I do. <laughs> but in regards to, yeah, uh, you mentioned that MPP Kari Hallihallihallihallihallihallihallihallihallihallihallihallihallihallihallihallihallihallihallihallihallihallihallihallihallihallihallihallihallihallihallihallihallihallihallihallihallihallihallihallihallihallihallihallihallihallihallihallihallih
day to day. <laughs> they are, now by anti-intellectual, they are people who refuse to acknowledge fact. And people who refuse to acknowledge fact are anti-intellectual. People who think that their gut feeling is uh, more accurate than facts, those people are anti-intellectual. And there are people out there who want to believe that their gut feeling is more accurate than facts. And it isn't, and it never has been, and it never will be. <laughs> I mean, I guess I just see the gut feelings as dressed up by fact, like we're drowning in data, so you can kind of promote anything as fact. There's information, and then there's facts. Mm -hmm. Information is not facts. Data are not facts, because data can also be incorrect data. You know, it can be it's just shit that you input in coming up with your solution. Um, having a lot of words out there doesn't mean those words have value. They might as well just be magnetic poetry. You guys might be too young to remember magnetic poetry. I remember magnetic poetry. <laughs> All right, there you go. You got one, yeah. Yeah, you're older than you look. We're kind of um, old. Is it the word magnets for fridges? <laughs> yeah, well, sort of, yeah. Yeah, you just, people would just throw words up and it would be like, they would call it poetry. Yeah, which like, is actually like poop, log, but, yeah. milk peg. Yeah, it was, it, it, was, it was really wasn't example. very poetic. It's like Rupee, whatever her name is. Rupee Carr? Yeah. Who? Sorry, that was a random she, She's just a very bad poet from... Um, Let me tell you Canada. something. Most poets are very bad poets. <laughs> That's true. Okay. Most of them never achieve greater complexity than what they put in their high school yearbook. <laughs> um, I have a very important question. Oh, I suspect um, it is not. <laughs> What does your closet look like? Like, is it a tiny little closet? <laughs> oh, that's a new angle. He looks he's different. You made him turn his head in a, in a suspicious I just way. Don't know what well, it looks like. well, my hunch was correct. <laughs> I have many clothes. I have clothes for every environment. I've been, I've been, uh, you know, around the world. And I've shot things in various environments, in various settings. So uh, I have a very big closet, and it is full of lots of different outfits. I'm like an action figure that comes on. Like bar I'm like Barbie, you know, that has lots of outfits. Mm, yeah, just like You could have said Ken. Um, I did want to uh, go back I'd to rather something. be like Barbie than Ken, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, I did want to go back to something you had said at the start. Um, kind of, you, you offered the advice to... Um, sorry, I'm not going to word it correctly, like to respond to people that are idiots, basically, um, on social media. Um, and like, how do you even suggest you do that without getting so overwhelmed? Because I see so much dumb shit on my social media, and I'll start typing out a response and then just make I myself just stop. Up. I feel like it's so draining on my mental health. Like, how do you how do you maintain like not getting too angry at the world doing that all the time? Here's how. I get very angry at the world all the time. <laughs> There's no way around it. No, listen, most people, Braden, you're doing the right thing by not, not wading into it. Um, it takes, I, listen, there, there's a certain amount of, of bravery in standing up to stupidity. Then there comes a point in time where it's foolhardy. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, there's some people I, de I deal with, and sometimes I will continue to, uh, to beat them around the head with information and point out where they're wrong, not because I'm trying to educate them, 
because I'm trying to educate people who have the same questions and they don't know how, to, how those questions are answered or how to deal with people like this. So I make these people into a lesson, you know, into a, into a cautionary tale. But even me, every now and again, I say, you know what? The hell with you. I'm not going to respond. <laughs> but I, I, I just, I have a really bad allergy against stupidity and ignorance. And uh, it's an itch I always have to scratch. And uh, there are many times when I regret that I've done it. Yeah, sometimes it, I feel like it depends on the situation. Sometimes it's more worth it to just keep peace than to prove your point because you know that you're just not going to be able to. It depends on who, you're, who you know is reading the, uh, you know, are reading the comments. Mm-hmm. If you think that what you're doing can have an effect that gives other people the words to answer these same questions, then it's a value. If, if not, and you're just like there was somebody today who was just going on and on about Trudeau is corrupt. He lied. So, well, what proof do you have that he lied? There's documentary evidence proving that what he said was true. Yeah, he lied. And you're an idiot because you believe him. It's like, where are you? I have facts to back me up. What do you have? You're an idiot. He's a liar. And that's when I was like, okay, there is no common ground to work from here. This is just a person who has no information, who just spouts talking points. There is nothing to be gained here. There's nothing for anybody to learn in how to deal with somebody like this. So the way I dealt with them was I said, okay, see ya, bye. And just didn't respond after that. And quite frankly, there are some people, nothing makes them more angry than when you don't bother responding. You know, my mom <laughs> yeah. always says, silence is power. <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. Something your mom show, well, she's, she's right, except when it comes to mimes. <laughs> <laughs> everybody hates mimes. Yeah, yeah I, I do. That's one thing we can all agree on. <laughs> Maybe we can rally mimes, man. <laughs> all right, uh, shall we leave it there? Or, or any final questions? I asked my really important question, so I'm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? There's no, you don't have any more cooking up in that head of yours? <laughs> Um, one more, I, one more, just for funsies. Yeah, um, what do you think about the uh, Avril Lavigne conspiracy theory that uh, <laughs> she, she actually died long ago and it's just a replacement woman now named Melissa? <laughs> well, listen, I, I love Avril. We got along very well. But um, Avril's biggest days of making hits are long in the past. <laughs> if Avril died, it would not be worth replacing her with a dummy. <laughs> Oh, like honestly, honestly, her album sales would go through the roof if she was actually dead. So, conspiracy busted. Yeah, right. like, busted. like honest to God, like like busted. if like Jay Z were to like die, and uh, then he'd be worth replacing. But Avril, yeah, no. Right. <laughs> Thank you. All right, sweet. Yeah, we have to go because Jenna is slowly fading into the background. <laughs> and it's very hot in here <laughs> yeah you're glowing okay thank you so much for speaking yeah, with us you. today hey, you guys are an listen, honor listen you guys are fun you're actually organized and even though there's four of you plus me um you didn't talk over each other all the time which is a which is something of a feat i've done a lot of these podcasts uh, especially during covid and most of them are such a waste of my time and, <laughs> They're, they're with people who, uh, as soon as I start, I'm like, why did I ever agree to this? But you guys have been a lot of fun. You've been very professional in the way you've carried on. So uh, I'll be glad to do it again whenever you want me. Wow. Awesome. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much. <laughs> Goodbye. Right, 
I'll see you later. Here, I'll show you the art. There. Yeah, 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 yeah. There we go. Beautiful. We're we're all just slowly waiting. (laughs) Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.